0: Welcome to Design Emergency, the platform and now podcast that Alice Rostorn and I, and that's Paola Antonelli, founded in the spring of 2020 to highlight design's role in coping with change and designing a better life for all, for all humans, for all societies, for all species and for all ecosystems. Alice and I like to remind everyone that everything is designed for good and for bad by humans or by other people participants in nature, and that design takes on forms that are not part of the traditional canon necessarily. So design is not only chairs and cars, no, it's also diagrams, ecosystems, video games, infrastructures, and even scent. And so today's episode is indeed dedicated to scent and smell as a form of design, and thus also as a tool for investigation of our world. Every day, each one of us breathes in and out circa 24,000 times. And with each breath, there are signals that travel straight to the brain and trigger powerful emotions, memories, and reckonings. And each smell is composed of molecules that act almost as building blocks. So in other words, scent is an act of design, whether natural or human-made. And Cecil Tola, our guest today, would like us to understand and cherish smell as a fundamental tool for communication. Uh, She believes, and these are her words, that there is a whole world to smell and a whole world to educate how to smell. And chemical communication was the first ever way of communication between bacteria, insects, plants, animals, and humans, and it still is. Hello, dear Cecil. Hello, Paula. Welcome to Design Emergency. Just a few more words about you. So you are a a smell researcher and an artist. You are Norwegian, but you live and work in Berlin. And your job, I'm going to make it fun, but you know, it's very deep, but it's about, (laughs) you gallivant around the world, you get involved in wondrous projects that involve smell, you capture the scent and the smell of places, people, animals, ideas, and in your decades-long career, you have demonstrated your belief in installations, conferences, collaborations, objects, and much, much more. To reveal a u- new universe to most of us unaware viewers and, and smellers so I, I would like to ask you how did you get to this because you studied mathematics chemistry languages and visual art how did that all blend into scent how did you <laughs> how did you come into your unique field of activity
1: First of all, I think it's very important to uh, make clear that I never use the term scent for what I do. I tend to want to use or insist on using the term smell. Smell, uh, for me, is the most neutral uh, word in at least in English, and it implies, you know, all kind of direction a smell might take. So um, yeah, that's a very important uh, kind of starting point for me talking about my passion and the commitment to the topic of invisible information in the air we all are so much sharing and maybe the only thing in the world we all share is the air we all breathe. From the very early on I was and I'm obsessed with life and the process of living and in the beginning I made a long journey to discover the simplest the most complex and compelling, myself and uh, my body and my senses. And all this is free and free of charge, and I just need to be challenged and used properly. So I went off with those facts in my backpack. After approximately seven years, I then came out as a completely re New human being. I used myself as a guinea pig to understand the purpose of the most of the you know interfaces we are equipped with, the senses, but also finding out the sense of smell was not appropriately used for whatever purpose is meant to be for. So I decided between 1990 and 97 to use that fact and to explore the world. I thought I already knew literally becoming a dog for seven years were you always a dog first of all i was born as an accident and and the rest is a continuation of that fact so i was alert from day one in my life and yeah and it has not stopped since ever since so that made me already very, very aware about, you know, that invisibility and the surrounded air that made me be alive was important to understand and to make take use of. And and this you know started with me being a young girl asking strange questions. Can I literally scientific question as, as a child, naive question, like why is the air invisible? Why is the water, in this case the waterfall, white? Why does the word, the birds fly and me not? So yeah, and, and this is naive, intelligent questions asked by uh, a, a little girl in the west coast of Norway, and, and those those are the questions I'm still asking today. And I think what the sense of smell, understanding the sense of smell, have accomplished, in my, in my case, is to make my childness, child, um, child in me, s- still being alive, you know, and that is amazing. Understanding the world, joy and playfulness, and then kind of accepting a no for a no, and and yeah, there must be some other way of understanding and not relying only on what i see you know because what i see doesn't say enough and how
0: do you define your practice if you were to tell um, my grandmother in 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 milan what you do for a <laughs> living how would you how would you express that
1: yeah that's a good question i you know like i call myself a professional in betweener and trying then to 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 kind of let let the the other or the the person who asked me the question understand what that means is maybe the simplest way of doing is yeah i try to understand the air that you breathe and the air that you breathe contains small particles that do something to you beyond what you see and this make may influence your your understanding of that very moment, it influence your understanding of that moment in an emotional way, and your emotional intelligence are triggered by this invisible information. And also now, after COVID, this conversation will be very different because the topic in COVID was exactly this, invisible particles closing down the world. So the rhetoric used in COVID it's the rhetoric I've been using to all through my career and my life. And my work is about real, you know. I'm dealing with real stuff, you know. And nothing is more honest than a smell, you know. And there's a whole industry out there that want to cover up that fact. And I think it's so sad. And science is there to be applied to help us understand the invisible air we all breathe. In a different and more holistic way, and taking use out of it. Yeah. yeah, but
0: it's not only science. Thank God, it's also design and art, and you've been using course. them a lot. You know, it's uh, you know at the time that we met, which was at this point, I think about fifteen years ago. You were uh, using any technologies at your disposal. I think you were experimenting. You were using mostly headspace technology, which is the technology that is used in the perfume industry to capture the scent, the molecules of live entities. Think of gardenias, but instead you were applying it to render essences from kind of objectionable uh, objects like sweat, rotten fish, dog feces, and, and also to explore the everyday, as you said, the Will aliveness. Yeah. Yes, aliveness. Yeah. And you were putting them into an archive that at that time was 7,000 cents and now it's 20. So you have this amazing library. And what what is the purpose of the library and how did you work with it?
1: So first of all, you know, when I started off uh, uh, using myself as a guinea pig to understand what it means to use the sensors, to use and coordinate the information provided by the sensors in an appropriate way, I was approached by the industry and started to look into the industry of smell and taste. What are they doing? How are they doing what they're doing? And long story short. I understood that I can do something with existing knowledge that had never been done before. Among others, how they were using technology to imitate, to synthesize nature. And I thought maybe I can use the same type of a technology to understand, synthesize reality outside of the greenhouse. So I started to use Headspace and other advanced technologies. Like you would use your smartphone to, to snap a shot of the reality that you just experienced. I will do the same with my little device. I snap the invisible part of that reality, look into the data, break up the smell into individual molecules and get a scan out of the, the, the world I've just been smelling. So a nanosecond of a smell is what I catch up and I break up and look into individual molecules, what are they doing, where are they coming from, what makes them exist, etc. So all this information then, gets placed in archives of various kinds call it climate call it body call it ecology call it tolerance you know whatever you know it's all kind of direction including language phonetic you know para, para linguistics etc so all those archives over 25 years has been uh, literally archives in process it's like a diary, you know, it's never ending story. As long as I'm still interested in being alive and interested in the topic of life, those archives will still grow. So it's works that are in continuous process like life is. So when I do do concrete exhibition, I just dig into the archive, take out data, replicate, apply to the site-specific topic of concern, and the journey continue. And the journey is called life.
0: The first thing that we did together was this conference called Headspace that was here in New York, in which I had paired architects and designers with uh, with like high-end perfumers. So I remember that for instance, there's an architect Majora Carter that had um, captured the smell of the South Bronx, or architect Oshiko Mori had captured the scent of gravity. And you introduced to all of us in the audience your theory. But then the first thing that we worked together and that I actually showed your work because the funny thing is there's also a showing element was the exhibition called Talk to Me which was in 2011 which was about the communication between people and things.
1: Yeah in general you know what my work is dealing with the micro of life and that can be from the body to the city and beyond so I have done 55 cities over the years for various reasons, various purposes, and and for various clients. And The the project you refer to is one of the first ones, which was Berlin, and it was by diversity and tolerance. Looking into very diverse neighborhoods at that time, 2002, 2004. Kind of confronting inhabitants of the city. Yeah, okay, you might be intolerant towards the way your neighborhoods look like, but in spite of that, you all are smelling and breathing the same air. So I literally investigated um, excavation. You know, if you might, if you, if I might use that word, into those neighborhoods, trying to find the DNA of all those neighborhoods, their streets, their activities, people living there, and made a kind of smell profile of four diverse neighborhoods. The project is called N-NEWS, like North, South, East, West Berlin. And um, yeah, and then displayed this in in kind of harmony, decontextualized, hardcore reality, placed the smell in a comfort zone of a museum, got people to activate their sense of smell to understand the invisible quality of those neighborhoods and then I took the the visitor out to the respective areas. It was like a map of Berlin, it
0: kind of rebuilt yeah. the map according to the different locations. Yeah. And as you exactly. said, you know, smell is also a spatial device. It immediately locates you in a space. And I'm sure that we've all had that experience of, of like grasping a smell for a moment and bam, immediately being transported to our childhood to a particular location. And so um, then the next project that we collaborated on was a kind of experiment also. For me, it was a program called Design and Violence, in which I was trying to explore together with Jamer Hunt, the the contemporary manifestations of violence using design objects as a tool. And you were the opening, it was online, and you were the opening act. You had, you, you sent me an ampoule from the other side of the world containing the scent of violence. And... I sent that ampoule to the person that would write the essay, Anne-Marie Slaughter, and she she almost fainted. It was such a strong scent. So, can you tell... (laughs) No, it was like really a shock. Can you tell us about the Scent of Violence project?
1: Yes, the smell of violence, if I might correct you with using the terms that I kind of...
0: (laughs) Please correct me. I have... No, no, you're completely (laughs) right. And that's so important. So, smell, smell, smell of violence.
1: Absolutely, because scent is suddenly some so very kind of positive. It might be positive again, you know, what's, what's bad and good in the world? You know, who make those rules? Anyway, that's another, another story. Uh, <clears throat> yes, the, the, the Smell of Violence, a collaboration with Nick Knight, and we were looking into the, you know, the senses and how we can understand, uh, you know, the various state of psychological state of mind, True smell molecules. And uh, it's a continuation of another project I have done uh, over the years and still doing uh, sense the smell of uh, of fear. And and uh, yeah, so it was staged fights between uh, kids in, in East London that were recorded, the, their body sweat were recorded during them fighting, literally, and then Uh, replicated and reproduced and as the only thing uh, that remain from these fights, the stage fights where their body sweat and in that smell we could actually smell there we're afraid
0: and in a recent exhibition that you did about your work your exhibition happened first in Oslo at the Astrup Fernley Museum and then at the ICA Philadelphia and in both cases you treated the two buildings as living organisms so I I just Mm -hmm. want to mention also the curator Solveig Ostebo and then Zoe Ryan in Philadelphia and Forma Fantasma who also were interviewees in our podcast helped you with the installation in in
1: Oslo yeah so the 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 museum or uh, became a living and breathing organism, literally life. And if there's nothing going on in the building, air is still the agent, you know? And, you know, air is full of information. The building has become the agent, the responsive to the current time and topics of all, uh, and and all the works and archive were then uh, placed into this building using the air, hacking the air condition to, to at all be accessible. So it started off with me literally living at the museum in Oslo and during COVID in quarantine. And the first thing I asked about is like, where's the air condition? How does this real building breathe? Where does the air come in and how does it go out? And what is that air and how does it move the cold and and the warm and how would that potentially influence where I place my molecules? So it was incredible to have the possibility to operate towards the building
0: in this way so the pandemic um, the pandemic was a watershed in the life of the world for many many different reasons but when it comes to smell uh, it's it was really a moment of reckoning awareness and also deprivation we were separated we would only smell the few people that were around us and some of us could not smell at all because one of the uh, surprising and terrible consequences of some COVID cases was to deprive people of the olfactory ability completely. How did the world come out of the pandemic when it comes to your research?
1: I think the world has come out understanding uh, a rhetoric that I've been used for 25 years. <laughs> That's wanting. thing. But the whole sense of deprivation in, in its utter meaning is also now uh, being understood <clears throat> and also Maybe tendency also seen as a quality of experience. You know the fact that the invisible particle enable us to to kind of close down the world simultaneously, and we all literally were in something together, and we didn't even see what this was. You know, and we had to rely on, yeah, suddenly you had to rely on the information that you know was given you know to us beyond the conventional. So aerosol um, and the air. Become the main topic of the COVID, and uh, you know we had this experience of not having access to, to, to you know each other and using the senses the way we're used to, and this made us also start to understand how important the senses are for well-being and for at all being part of the world. We need to kind of activate the senses a much more uh, you know holistic way continuously and i think a lot uh, of the experience is still in our body and the way we are now very vulnerable and also tendency are very alert is because of this experience. And I tend to think without emotional reaction, there is no action. And what Smell accomplished so geniusly is to activate exactly that, activate the, our emotion and memory in the quickest time ever in the brain. And understanding complex and complicated issues in the context of joy and play, I think, is the only way forward.
0: What do you advocate for? What is an ideal world for you? in which smell is incorporated in the way you imagine?
1: I mean, what is ideal uh, is a big question. You know, I don't know if there's an ideal world and for whom, That's another thing. But I think the the fact that we start to use terms like interconnectivity, interspecies, you know, that we are all somehow dependent of each other Uh, I think is, is very positive. And what does that mean in its consequences? That means for me, we have to start to move beyond relying or just believing the semantic and semiotic is the only way to communicate information in this world. What if we start to rely or to learn how to communicate? beyond the word, you know, and this is also adding this aspect of joy and playfulness to the situation. Like, if you cannot say it with a word, maybe you say it with a movement, or maybe you just made a sound, or maybe you just add a smell, and then suddenly you have a completely different understanding of the situation, and everybody suddenly can contribute, even if you are not a mathematician or biologist, or multi-skilled in so many other directions. So. I think this scaling down to scale up again is essential to move forward. And scaling down also refers to being a dog or daring to be different, daring to get out of your comfort zone. And just leave the meeting if you cannot stand the conversation. I said, I'm sorry. I have, you know, or I if can you smell cannot stand the smell. <laughs> yeah, if you cannot stand yeah. the smell. Yeah, Or I always can stand the smell, but the smell maybe tell me, and I tell that the tell, the smell told me to leave, you know. And then if you're sitting around, let's say you're sitting around the dining table, and you talk about the smell instead of talking about how people look like. You've always you've also studied
0: linguistics, and terms are incredibly important for you. So you had a whole dictionary that you designed many years ago, and now ye, when you talk about how your research is moving, it's smell and, right? It's smell and the yeah. world, smell identification, the use of smell to convey information. So you've really moved into a phase in which you're activating smell to some goals. So what are these goals and how are you moving now?
1: Yeah, so my work in, in total are, uh, you know, maybe you, you can s- separate them in, in two kind of groups, uh, uh, three type of groups. You know, one is, uh, you know, replication reproduction of uh, real smells, you know, through chemical, uh, you know, uh, simulation. And the other is uh, coding, smell coding. I have an alphabet, I mean, called abstract molecules that can be applied to, to various settings have become references, abstract smell references, the same way that natural gas once upon a time got the smell uh, added onto it and the communication uh, or the the content is something, uh, the gas is leaking, so you better be careful. And then the third group is, um, uh, the third group is then functional, looking into Molecules and what these molecules potentially can do to the brain and to the body beyond the psycho- psychology, like physical, you know, pu- you know purposes using a molecule, <clears throat> let's say to f- to help people fall asleep, quality of sleep, um, you know, anxiety, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So these are studies and research I've been working on for t- 15 years, and now slowly start to get. Um, really result that I'm applying to various products in reality. And all this together, there can maybe be condensed down to how do we talk about this? Language. What is this state of the situation with smell and language? And as we already constated, that process of smelling, the way it operates in the brain, it bypasses the rational part of the brain, immediately activate hippocampus memory, and emotion, so language somehow is kind of not even you know the language part of the brain is not even activated. But I have not given up on that. So I've been studying anthropology, linguistics, been working with linguists all over the world in various languages and various smaller languages, specifically uh, where you know tradition and kind of cultural uh, you know culture influence people's way of talking so i come across the fact that the less time you 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 have to express something towards smell the better it is for this, the the outcome of, of what you say so i've been collecting exp- expressions towards same same type of smell for over 25 years and making databases and compare the term this the voice and the, the active activation of, of the voice at the moment of smelling same molecules and same complex smells. And it's incredible to see the similarities cross cross languages. And but it's also very complicated to make sense out of it. So the latest state of my lexicon or the Nasalo diction uh, lexicon, which I call it, is I develop a software that only purpose of the software is to collect the para sound, the, the phonetic of the voice at the moment you say something. So there, let's say there is a situation with three abstract molecules. These three molecules are placed in Philadelphia, in Oslo, in Greenland, in South Africa, in China somewhere, in Korea and beyond. And they all share the same database. So, you smell and the software collect the sound of your voice rather than word what you're saying. Like literally, the, it's called paralinguistic. The sound, the phonetic of the voice and the motion of the voice. And then place it into a database and, so, and sort it out.
0: Let our audience know the kind of of research projects you're involved in, because they need to understand that scent is a tool for investigation and for design. It's about smell the world, smell identification, smell coding, The use of smell to convey information, the use of smell in education to memorize information, the use of smell to train tolerance, for the use of sensory ecology and how to train emotional intelligence, and it never ends. I like the fact that you created this kind of taxonomy uh, or list of possible applications, uses, or understanding of, of smell. It's really powerful, and I hope that designers will learn from it because they have not tapped enough this sphere of our existence yet one of the most recent uh, kind of like train of research that you've been involved in is about smell and heritage applying to such diverse uh, things as locations and personalities can you talk about this a little bit please
1: yes so um i've been uh, fortunate to be involved in a couple of projects dealing with smell as a potential you know, artifacts to be preserved for the purpose of heritage. And this is, I think, a very huge step forward. Uh, And the context of concern here is Pompeii. Among others, another one is uh, the purling Patch in uh, Bahrain, a collaboration I do with the former Phantasma. Our third project is Alula in Saudi Arabia, and the fourth one is the Elephantine Island in Egypt on the Nile. And on all those projects, literally, I am in the field with, a, in, in in some cases, geologists and archeologists, and, taking part, effective taking part in excavations with my tools and instruments. The moment of excavating the, the ground, I'm there to collect the air emitting from the soil, revealing, hopefully, information about the past that we didn't or wouldn't otherwise know. And then all that data is taken to the surface and replication, reproduction of individual molecules Plus the complex smell that that might communicate, some of those recording might communicate, and then place them in the same <clears throat> context of where, what else has been revealed in the various sites. And not only are we here looking into how can we understand the the past from you know from an organic uh, you know organic. Uh, uh, in perspective, but also how can this be used to contribute to a story that I don't know who told and who tells which story is here, part of the the, the, the topic. Are you trying to recapture the smell
0: of millennia ago, of centuries ago, or are you yes. capturing this? Oh, okay. Interesting.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So, and also to, you know, in this case, if we find a smell, if we find molecules in the, let's say in Pompeii. In the soil that give indication, give information about something they didn't even know, you know, uh, they didn't know before. You know, this is then, you know, taken uh, to to the next step and potentially also becoming a kind of a smell heritage of a kind, you know, preserved as that this is a unique smell that you only can find this very combination of this strata and this strata and this, you know, combination whatever with, with other elements in that very. Uh, piece of, of soil in this case and uh, yeah so looking into how smell can become part of uh, heritage so know.
0: this this must be it must be a new discipline it's smell archaeology
1: yes, okay. yes exactly and also what this was interesting also with the last excavation that i did there in pompeii was the the um, archaeologists and geologists and other uh, experts in the field how they suddenly started to understand their own role in the process they said oh we are here primarily looking for things to f- in the soil you know we are looking for glass pieces we are looking for you know things objects and now we're finding ourselves also including the sense of smell and in that process. And that might in the end influence how we write the protocols. And I think that is so interesting. So that experience then also become part of my project. Not only I collect molecules emitting from the various sites and look into the data and replicate what I find and communicate it afterwards, but also the conversation with every all the experts involved, how else how could we you know, use the, the whole body in this uh, use in, in, in applying our knowledge to the topics uh, of concern. So that's part of uh, the, 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 the future, which we spoke about before, about what will, and I think this is also, you know, again, because of the situation we all have been in concerning, you know, the census and, and COVID, maybe this is one of the direction, uh, you know. That we can take. Yes, exactly talking about
0: heritage you and kind of like smell archaeology you also um, you also conducted a really interesting project with and for Balenciaga really evoking Cristobal Balenciaga himself
1: yes so over four years I've been involved with Balenciaga not for the purpose to make a commodity and products but to understand what is in this case heritage in terms of a, of a designer, where does he come from? His, uh, you know, his life, his various uh, physical, uh, you know, in his house, his studio, his headquarters in Paris as well as in Basculum, you know, does any information in those places, invisible information in those places, could, could be of interest of uh, in terms of adding on to understanding his legacy. So. I've been investigating into the various sites over 4 years and some of the outcome have them been placed in in fashion shows and in especially in the the first ever uh, haute couture uh, collections that Balenciaga did since 60 I think 68 when Christopher left the left uh, Balenciaga so these archives are now a part of the templates that Balenciaga is using to tell various stories. Not only they have template for for light and colors and etc. Cetera, etc., cetera, but now smell molecules is also a, a, a permanent, you know, uh, ingredients in whatever they do. Even if they're a situation where there's no smell, that's also a smell. So it's, um, you know, it's quite interesting and quite, quite uh, wonderful to be able to apply my knowledge to such a, you know, ambitious, uh, you know, company and and the label, uh, a, a brand like Balenciaga. Well,
0: dear Cecil, it's been amazing to have you here, I have to say. And I want to conclude with something that you said that I think we should all carry with us. Yeah. You said that nothing stinks only thinking makes it so. (laughs) And I think we should all start sniffing and smelling each other in order to get to know each other better, like dogs. So thank you for being here today with us. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to have you here today. And all of you who are listening, we hope you'll be back soon for another episode of Design Emergency.